We're going to actually continue the message that we began last week, uh, the Great Awakening. And uh, it's good to be part of the family of God and of the kingdom of God. I want to begin with Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 21. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any tool or instrument of man, dividing between our soul and our spirit. Father, that through your word that we see and that we know, the truth of your word, the reality of your person and of your presence, Father, we ask that you would unveil and that you would unfold, that you would flood the eyes of our inner man with light and with understanding. Father, that your word would not be a mystery to us, that your word would not be some secret code, but that your word would be unveiled and opened before our spiritual eyes, that we may see and we may know the great treasures, the great love, the great mysteries that have been hidden, Father, but that your Spirit reveals them to us. Holy Spirit, we say, have your way today. Use my tongue, my lips, my mind, my body, that we may receive from you, Father, all that you have for us, that we go away never the same. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 3 Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Weymouth translation says, God, however, is only one. Is the law then opposed to the promises of God? No, indeed for if a law had been given which could have conferred life, righteousness would certainly have come by the law. And then Amplified Translation says, is the law then contrary and opposed to the promises of God? Right, because Paul is talking to the church, churches actually at Galatia and saying like, you all started out trusting God and believing God and you were on the right track. How are you so quickly going a different way? How are you so quickly trying to connect with God and commune with God and talk with God in your own strength and in your own power and through the things that you do? Well, you know, the tradition tells us that the, uh, there was a, a teaching that came in called Gnosticism and that the people in the church kind of got uh, tripped up in that teaching. But I can tell you from just being alive for 42 years that uh, people's flesh wants to do something in order to uh, deserve something good. I mean, we teach it in our work ethic, which is a good work ethic, you know, and even the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And uh, you need to work hard, work as unto the Lord and not, not to mankind. Aren't you glad that scripture's in there? That scripture is in there for every leader that you have, that you work underneath, that doesn't act correctly says, work as to the Lord and not to men. Why? Because somebody else acting foolishly uh, 
can, if you just respond and act the same way, can actually steal from you because you, because you started to respond to them. No, we work as to the Lord and not to men. And actually, the epistles tell us that to the, to the leader that treats you poorly, you should actually work even better because it is no credit on your account if you're treated poorly, when treated poorly, uh, that, you're, that you like, um, excuse me, it says, when you're treated poorly, if you do something good and you do what's right, then there's a credit to your account. But if you do something wrong and you're treated poorly, well, you just deserved it. <laughs> That's my paraphrase. So that's, that's the place where we find, we pick up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, that the churches at Galatia, they had started out living for God. They had started out going the right way. And Paul's trying to correct that. And we pick up in the Amplified, it says, if, is the law then contrary and opposed to the promises of God? Because the Galatians were trying to, through the works of the law, be near to God. They were trying to come to God. And you see this through all, throughout many religions, many beliefs in the world, that the way that mankind tries to get access to God himself is through the works that they do, you know, through beating themselves or through um, giving up food or through doing this or doing that. It's always a work of the flesh, an accomplishment of the flesh to try to connect with God. But God said, while we were sinners, while we were messing up, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him or believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life or have literally the same kind of life that God has, or to be sustained in living the same way that God himself is sustained, with the same source of sustenance, with the same source of life and power, really with the same nature, which is what we see in the life of Christ. For God so loved the world that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so Paul, by the Spirit of God, said, if there had been a law given which could have conferred life, conferred life, I looked that word up um, in the original language, and it actually says it means to make alive, to cause to live, or to quicken. Now, if you read the King James Bible very much, you'll see quicken, 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 quicken. You know, like, uh, I like how um, Brother Hagin said it because it meant something to me, but he said, uh, you know, like, quick. The Word of God is quick and powerful is what King James says. It's quicken. Well, if you cut your uh, fingernail and you cut it too far to where uh, it's not just the dead parts that's sticking out, but you cut too far, it's called cutting it to the quick. And you will know as soon as you touch that living part. Because you're like, ha! It's like you ever get out of the shower, which is the best time to cut your fingernails. This is a hygiene class. Because they're softer. Okay, I'll just stop. Because if you go there and you, you do that and you do like to the, the white part that's showing, then all of a sudden you're kind of like, 
Well, if you cut all that off, you've actually cut too quick, too close. And you might be like, ha! Anyhow, I don't know if that was for somebody or not, but... To make alive, to cause to live, to quicken. It's the same word that the Holy Spirit had the writers of the Bible use to talk about the resurrection life of Christ. It's the same word. It talks about the power that is inherent in a seed. It means changing or fashioning anew. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, Remember, some translations say, if any man be in union with Christ or be united with Christ or be united to Christ or be united to the very life of God which is in Christ and which comes through Christ, he is a new creature. Same word. He is quickened. He is made alive. And this is not just like all of a sudden, you know, an animal is born and made to live. Although the life of God, actually, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, will, same word, make to live, quicken our mortal body. Just like it quickened the mortal body of Christ. It also talks about the impart, imparting of spiritual life and of spiritual sustenance that actually you're sustained by this kind of life. And when I kept looking at this, uh, when I was studying for this message a few weeks ago, at the beginning, of course, I re-looked at it, but um, it also means to awaken or to rise up. And I saw that, and I was meditating on that, and I said, wow, this is like the greatest awakening ever. Why? Because... It was one son of God awakened unto life as the forerunner of a whole generation of sons and daughters of God, of children of God. Jesus, the Bible says, went through as our forerunner. In other words, he blazed a trail and made a path. And he made a path that really it was not possible for you or I to blaze without him first going before us. He made a way where there was no way with mankind. Man had tried for years and years and years and years to obey the law, to obey all the rules, to do all the right things, so as hopefully the Lord won't be mad at me, hopefully he will, he will do something for me, hopefully he'll let me into his kingdom. And if that would have been possible, then life would have come that way, but it was not possible that life could come that way, the, not the life of God and not the nature of God. It had to come through one man, and that man's name was Jesus Christ. For if the law had been given, which could confer spiritual life, then righteousness and right standing with God would certainly have come by the law. But righteousness and right standing with God came by the one man, Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life. No man, no woman, no human can come to the Father except by him. He is the way. 
He is the truth, and he is the life. The power of Christ, the power of Jesus Christ is found in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and his ascension, in his ascension. Uh, Jesus actually said that a seed first has to die before it can actually have life, before it can live. It first has to be planted in the ground and die. And by that death, then new life can spring forth. You see, like, uh, it's just like the beginnings. It's a little slow this year, but of new life springing forth. And if you're going to do a garden or, you know, you put a seed in the ground. And that seed, which appears dead, has potential life in it. It actually has potential multiplied life. And when we plant that seed into the ground, and the ground... The warmth of the ground and the rains will cause that seed to begin to decay, and then the life that's in there, the germ, will begin to sprout forth. And then as soon as it comes up, what does it need? It needs the light of the sun in order to live, in order to thrive, in order to multiply. That is a great example of our life. Jesus himself had to first be planted in the ground. He first had to give up of himself, give up of his own thoughts, of his own ways, before he could actually um, fulfill the plan of God. Remember, he's in the garden. The Bible says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And we kind of know why, because he said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there's another way that this could be done, I really don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not at my will, but your will be done. And Jesus gave us really an example to follow. In other words, the way to, to believe God and the way to act in faith, Jesus said, if someone wants to follow me or come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, in Christianity, or in the life of God, you have to first die before you can live. You have to give up of your own desires, your own plans, your own uh, processes, you know, like, uh, this is how I do this, and I've always done it this way, and, you know, uh, I mentioned during the offering time, you know... Uh, Sometimes you learn how to worry through your family. But if you're going to have God's best, you have to learn how to care. You can then receive what he has done for you because he cares for you and about you so that you can then receive what he has done for you. And when you think about worry, it's really interesting because um, in our thinking, we're like, it's going to do something, you know, I got to worry about it. You feel like you have to. I have to, I have to be all acquainted with this and be around this and all that type of stuff. But it really makes no even logical sense that your worrying is going to do anything to help a situation. And Jesus said that, you know, like, uh, do you think you can add an hour to your life by worrying? I have, uh, I have sinned. <laughs> I confess my sins. Uh, 
I have actually found, maybe I should, maybe a better, let me rewind, just forget you said that. Look at the little pen. Boop. Um, I've heard uh, you spend time worrying and you actually are wasting your time anyhow. So not only can you not add, but you're actually taking away. And so Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But the devil has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. The devil is a liar and he is the father of lies, meaning lies originate with him and from him. And if something is deceptive and if something is untrue, you're, you're treading on the devil's territory. And so what is worry but a lack of faith? What is worry but not trusting God? Worry in the positive. Meditate the word of God to chew on the word of God. It's like worry in the positive. So like worry in the negative is, oh, I don't know what's going to happen, and you know, this, this costs this, and now, now this is going to, what did this, now this is going to fall apart, and this is going to fall apart. So what happened? You start to think about this, and if you think about it enough, what happens? You start to mumble, which is mutter, which is like meditating. Well, you just got to turn that thing around. Whatever is lovely, noble, pure, praiseworthy, think on these things, think what the Word says. And my God shall supply all of your needs, every need I have. It doesn't matter what it is, big or small. He'll supply every need. This thing, that thing, every time I turn around, he's, he's supplying. But that comes from what? That comes from a heart of faith or a believing heart. Well, what is a believing heart? That is a heart that simply believes that what God said is true and believes it so much that it causes you to act. What would that be? Well, if you don't have a job, and you're believing God for a job, that doesn't mean that you sit at home waiting for the phone to ring. Why? Well, you believe I have the favor of God on me. And so I'm going to apply at these positions, and I'm going to get called. In fact, I'm going to have to turn down the calls. Because faith is an action. Without works, faith is dead. So you have to act on what you believe. If you believe God, the most basic belief for a believer in Christ, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead, and you say that with your mouth, you declare that with your mouth, you will be saved. For with the heart man believeth, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So as soon as you believe there has to be an action that follows. Otherwise, you just agree to it mentally. You reason it out. Okay, yeah, I, I believe uh, in my head that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose again, but it's not from your heart. From the heart, you believe. From the head, you understand. So you're not saved because your emotions feel like you are, and you're not saved because your head reasons it out that it should be that way. You're saved by believing with your heart and confessing with your mouth. Well, faith in every area is the same way. You didn't come into the kingdom in a different way that you're going to live in the kingdom. And so, you know, the Galatians, they, they're like, well, this is why we came into the kingdom, and now we're going to live in the kingdom because uh, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're serving here, we're doing this, we're doing that. And so, therefore, we deserve this. We deserve to have all of our needs met. Because of all of our works, because of all of our doings. No, it's not a matter of deserving. In our own ability, apart from Christ, 
we all deserve to be condemned and we all deserve to be separated from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love that he loved us with, sent Christ to die for us, to set us free, that we could be awakened unto real life, that we could have real life, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that the same power that defeated the devil and all of his power, all of his cohorts, lives inside of the believer and is made active inside of the life of the believer. So you may, you may be a believer in Christ here this morning, or maybe you're not. But there is a question that comes to every single one of us. And that is a question of significance and really existence. Why am I here? What is my purpose? There must be more to life than what I'm experiencing. There must be more than this. It's really a, a, a deep-rooted question that we're not just here by mistake. You're not just in this room by mistake. But the days have been actually ordained and appointed for you, the Bible says. That the days in which we live were appointed for you. Do you know that means that God knew before the foundation of the earth that you were going to be born at this day, and he created these days for you. He created these days for me. What does that mean? For God so loved the world that he gave. What does that mean? We are ambassadors for Christ and for the kingdom of God. That means that you have within you, when you see the you that you are in Christ, everything that this world needs right here today, right now in this generation. And so you have greatness on the inside of you. But the reason that you're frustrated is because you're trying to accomplish it through your own power and through your own, own ability and through your own way. In other words, we have all of these insecurities that we try to get securities to fix. So if you have like, if you grew up without a lot of money, well, one of your greatest fears may be the lack of money. Well, fear is driving and pushing and forcing. Faith Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Faith actually is a rest. Well, as soon as you enter into rest, you know you're in faith. So if you're like stirring and feeling pushed and prodded, and, well, you know like you're not trusting God. You have not entered into the rest of faith. But you may have grown up in a way where you just didn't have enough money. Your family didn't have the money to, to take care of even basic needs. And as a reaction to that, you have sort of like made a vow, never for my children, never in my adult household will I allow this to happen. So I'm going to do this, this, this. And you have inadvertently put your trust in your own ability and not in God. But you could take that same willpower and as an act of your will, this is actually, I think, one of the most fundamental definitions of faith 
one of the most fundamental ways that you actually see the cover of faith lifted off is that you realize that in order to trust God and to believe God, you have to take and release belief in your ability apart from God. Release your faith in the ability of a government to take care of you and to be there when you need it. Release your faith in the system that the world has. Well, the world says you're not supposed to do this. The world says you're not supposed to say that Jesus is the only way. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians that Satan is the God of this world, and he's the father of lies. And so it doesn't take someone to even be that intelligent to realize if you were in Satan's position trying to fulfill it, you're going to like try and be like, oh, no, no, this is the right way. You go this way. This is good. Look, this is appealing. What does that sound like? Do you remember the serpent in the garden when he said to Adam and Eve, oh, look at that tree. It'll make you wise. You know, actually, God doesn't want you to eat that tree because he is selfish and he doesn't want you to be like him. You remember all those lies of the devil? Well, the devil's not creative. He has no new things to come up with. He just takes things and twists them a little more, and he watches humans interact for thousands of years, and he knows things that humans' uh, flesh lusts after, like power, like position, like illicit sex, like um, arrogant attitudes or poor me attitudes. Like the devil really... If you want to study the human spirit, that's a study after who God has made you to be, spirit, soul, and body. But if you want to study psychology, that's a study after the world system. And if you study psychology, then you have to restudy it like every decade because it kind of evolves and changes every decade. And so in Christ or in our union with Christ, we are actually set free from the system of the world, from the power of the flesh, and from a mind that is unrenewed, if you renew your mind, that would try to dominate you, try to control you. Now, it's, it's a, I better not go there, I don't have time. Well, I was going to say, you know, I, like some of you know, I have had a, um, it's a series that I'm working on, but, um, uh, in January, I had a, a head injury, and I got a, like a concussion, right? And so um, it's affected me off and on for quite a while. I'm, I'm doing very well and continue to get much better uh, and uh, will be fully recovered in Jesus' name. But it's been an interesting experience because, uh, you know, the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, divides the soul and the spirit. Yeah. Somebody said, like, oh, why do I want to do that? Well, why do I have that? That's like not good. Why do I want to do that? Well, I have to tell you, if you are born again, the new creature that you have become in Christ does not want to do that. But who wants to do that is a mind that hasn't been changed through reading the word of God. I shouldn't even say reading, through feeding on the word of God. In other words, the words of God have not got enough place in your heart to change your mind. Because your mind actually controls your body through direction. And really, the only way to get beyond your mind when you've got things in your mind that are coming and like doing all this type of stuff, you guys know how? 
James, your tongue. In other words, you find something written in the word that's contrary to what you feel, contrary to what you think about it, but you see it here and you've decided, you know what? Uh, I love Psalm 119, I think it's 128. I esteem your words above all else to be true or your precepts above all else to be true and I hate every false way. So you find it and all of a sudden you're like, well, this is opposite, if I was really honest, (laughs) this is opposite of what I kind of think about it. Well, you find that and you're like, well, then why do I keep doing this? I'll tell you why. Because the only way out of that mess is to speak what you believe of the word. And then it'll come to pass. Now, you may speak it and you may not even believe it, but you may know like, you know what? I know the word of God is true. I know God knows everything. And, you know, I know nothing. (laughs) So I'm just going to speak myself into faith. In other words, I'm speaking this because I know the character of God and I know who he is and I'm not moved by what I see and I'm not moved by what I feel, but I am moved by what I believe and I believe this. And so what do you do? You stir yourself up. You know, this Wednesday at our, at our lead team meeting, I was talking about that. I love Carpenter's translation of Ephesians and it says, you know, I bow before the knees, on my knees before my father. And in that translation, it says, you know, and when I come to pray, I stir up my remembrance of my earthly father and all of the other earthly fathers that I have known. And then I think of what fatherhood must mean in heaven. And then I multiply it a thousand, no, 10,000 times. And I say, oh, father. That's what I'm talking about. You meditate the word. You find what the word says and you like let that word penetrate It'll go beyond your mind. It'll come deep-rooted in your heart. This is how you actually have faith. Jesus commanded us to have faith or lay hold on faith or grab hold of faith. And Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes. One translation says, faith is awakened by hearing the word of God. That does not mean that faith comes by the word of God activating your eardrum and sending messages to your brain. Now, it does come that way because you're going to have to hear it. But that hearing is talking about a heart hearing. Well, you first have to have a mental hearing before you can have a heart hearing, which is kind of why I was saying like the brain thing kind of has taught me something because it's amazing to me how much your brain and your mind affect your ability even to yield to spiritual things. Because you're, it's a pathway that you have to go through even though that's not you. But you have to have that mind has to be renewed so that the word of God can be what you are allowing or not allowing. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, the renewed mind will then control your body according to the word of God. But the unrenewed mind will not control your body according to the word. The unrenewed mind will actually side in with your body or with your flesh or with the strong desires of your flesh. Like, you know, people get in all kind of trouble. Uh, they embezzle money and they do all kind of things. Well, you know, you, you, you deserve that. You worked extra hours and you need to have that and you should have that, you know. And, you know, I've talked to somebody. I never really struggled with stealing. But I've talked to people that have, you know, like don't judge people because... Uh, you may be tempted to do something I would never be tempted to do. 
But I might be tempted to do something you would never be tempted to do, so let's not judge each other. So some people, I have talked to them, they're like, you know, like I have all this stuff. I used to work in a supermarket and did security. <laughs> they would be wealthy people, like millionaires, and they would go in and steal something just because they have this temptation to steal. Not even, they don't even need it. But they just had this temptation to steal. Well, you have to put that under. And if you're trying to control a temptation and a desire like that through sheer willpower without the word of God, you might as well just stop. Because what you're going to do is you're going to like curb your desires, put all these restrictions on yourself, do all of this, and then you're going to mess up and you're going to feel like a failure and you're going to have that cycle again and again and again and again and again. Because the power is in Christ. And the power is in believing him and what he did. The power actually is in realizing that you're not good enough to do it on your own. That you're, that, that, yeah, you have flesh and you mess up. That there's Jesus, uh, you know, as touched with the feelings of our infirmities or our, our inabilities in the flesh because he lived in the flesh so he could relate to us. But yet he didn't succumb to any of it because he was without sin. And so he did it, not only to give us an example, but more so to get victory over all of it so that we could then say, you know what? I can't do that on my own, but I believe God. Wherefore, sirs, I believe God. And so then we can look to God and allow his life to dominate us and allow his life to wake us up. I said last week, if you look over in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, kind of the end of the, end of the passage there, that the word of God says that Paul was instructing Timothy to pray for those, that, the, that they would awake out of their sleep, that the Lord would grant them repentance to the acknowledging or the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because even a believer, if you don't renew your mind, can find all of a sudden, I'm living in a fog. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going through, like, you know, if you live in a fog or you drive in a fog, like, you can see, but you're, like, a lot more tense around a corner. Oh, it depends how thick the fog is, but the fog can get pretty thick. And so you're going through life, you're going through the motions, you're doing all of these things, but you know in Christ the fog is lifted and you're actually, you wake up so that you're not unaware of what's going on, that you're not deceived and that you're not wasting your life, spending all of your time, all of your resources, the best that you have been given on things that don't matter on things that won't last. Because what we do for Christ lasts, and with his life, and with his nature, you actually supersede the laws of the realm of time and the laws of the realm of the world. Love goes beyond, and love goes above. Stand with me, if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you have questions. Maybe you've never thought about it. Why are you here? 
What is your life? What is the purpose of your life? Are you just here to live for 80 or 90 or 100 years? Get a job, make money, pay the money to live in a house, to eat, have a family, children, maybe grandchildren, and then die? Or are you here for a purpose? A Christian really is simply someone that has made a decision to accept Christ and what he has done and has decided to commit their life to him and has had a personal encounter with him. Christianity is not a religion. It's not a set of beliefs or a system to live life. It is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. It is by him and through him that we connect with God and that we receive from God. So I want to ask you with every, uh, with eyes closed and heads bowed, what is the condition of your heart this morning? If you were to die today, if you were to slip away from this earth this afternoon, where would you spend eternity? Do you know, you can know, the Bible says to know that you have eternal life. Today is your day. Don't wait another minute. Don't believe the lie that it doesn't matter, that you're not significant. That God's mad at you. God loves you. And he gave up his only son for you that you could have his life, that you could be part of his family, that you could come and have the weight of your mistakes and your sins and your failures completely removed from you, that your past can be gone and counted as nothing, that you enter into the joy of the Lord. If that's you this morning, and you don't know Jesus Christ, you've never accepted him as your Savior, as your Lord, you've never received him, I want you to, and you'd like to, I want you to slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you and pray for you. Your life can change today. Old habits, old ways, things that would drive you and force you have no place in you. You're made for more. If you're here and you were living for the Lord, but you got consumed and carried away with the things of the world, let them get a hold of you. You can come back this morning. You can come back into the family of God to perfect union, perfect fellowship with Christ himself. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be away. Don't believe the lie that you've done too much if you've gone too far. The devil is a deceiver and a liar, and he makes it feel like you're so far away, it's so impossible. No, you're one prayer away, you're one twinkling of an eye away from the favor of God and the sweet fellowship of him. If that's you, slip up your hand. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. 
Lastly, if you're here this morning and you've never been filled with the Spirit of God, yeah, maybe you're born again, you have the Spirit on the inside, you've been recreated, but you have not received Him in all of His fullness. There is something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which empowers you, gives you power beyond to face all of the things that the world would bring and to be a witness for Christ. If you're here this morning, you'd like to be filled with the Spirit. Slip up your hand so I can pray with you and I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you have brought us the greatest awakening in existence. Father, I pray for each and every person that's here and that's listening. Father, that we would live in the light of the awakening which you have brought to us. Father, we thank you for your word, for opening your word, giving us light, giving us understanding. Father, I pray that not one of us would live short of what you've called us to do. Father, I thank you for your strength, for your joy, for your ability for your deliverance, for your freedom, for your provision in Christ. Father, thank you. You are good and your mercy endures forever. We pray, Father, that you'd help each and every one of us not to just be someone that hears your word, Father, but that we do your word and live in light of it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.